everyone to the Rest Podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Williams, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Virginia. I want to say how happy I am that we're doing this live with Lily and Roman here today because last week... Doing it over Zoom was a little rough. (laughs) It was really rough. I know. It was not fun. I know. But Dr. Goldstein was so amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And her story is so amazing. And it was a little bit like the wild, wild west (laughs) because we both wanted to address the trials and the traumas and and how it manifests and triggers in our lives. And um, anyway, we did the best we could without you, but I'm happy to be back with you here. I'm happy you're back too. And today we have a very dear friend of yours and a board member and ambassador of rest, Lily Lavash. Hi. Hi, Natalie. And hi, Virginia. (laughs) We're so happy you're here. Thank you. And thankful. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I know. It's a tough topic, but I will never forget the day I had to drive into the office to meet you for reasons we were discussing just before we started this podcast. But it was over the tragic loss of a child. And I remember thinking that I have absolutely nothing to say to a mom who's lost her child because I came really close to losing my eight-year-old little girl from a brain tumor. And I lost a baby at four months. And they were just painful beyond words, both experiences. And I'll never, ever forget looking at you sitting there waiting for me. Because, of course, you were early. I was a mess. You were, yeah. Yes. So I want, I don't want to talk so much about Robert's beautiful life and his beautiful heart I don't want to get into that too deeply right now, but why don't you tell everybody why you came to see me? Well, it was the worst time of my life, something no parent should ever experience. I lost my son at the age of 34 in his prime of his life to addiction and to an overdose of of heroin. And that's why I came to see. I was devastated. I I had no place to go. I didn't know where to go. And one of my friends and a client told me about you. And so you made that phone call. You got in touch with me. And the rest is history. Yeah. It was an amazing amazing day. The level of intensity, the level of everything all mixed together. I don't know. How to even describe that, Natalie? I mean, the the look in your eyes mm-hmm. and the energy all around you was just palpable. And I remember I just, it was hard to find words and I asked God to help me. But the result of that meeting was so meaningful and it was pivotal in my professional life and in my personal life. And of course, we became friends Mm -hmm. as a result of it yeah it was pivotal in my life too as I said I was devastated and uh, I didn't know what to do 
and talking to you and seeing you on the regular basis at that time really helped me move forward. I mean, it's never over, mm-hmm. but it helped me. It helped me to get my life back. I remember when you walked out the door, I felt like we got your feet under you a little bit. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I knew what we had to do the next two, three, four, five weeks. By the grace of God, I had a thought. Mm. And I felt confident of the actions and the steps we needed to take to decompress your central nervous system. I want to read something to you. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but Dr. Bessel van der Kolk was one of my professors and Dr. Borges, and I did a course on trauma with him. He's the author of The Body Keeps the Score. And he's a director of the Trauma Center in Boston and the professor of psychiatry at the Boston University Medical School. He's a coordinator of the National Center of Child Traumatic Stress, Complex Trauma, and so forth. But this is his definition of trauma because it can be a term that is overused. Mm -hmm. But I remember in speaking to you, This really struck me, and I'm reading it directly from his website. Trauma is not the story of something that happened back then. It is the current imprint of that pain, that horror, that painful situation that a person experienced, and the fear that lives inside of the person who experienced a traumatic event. Exactly. And although I met you because of Robert, and I always say he was this little angel that brought you to me because we're just such kindred spirits, Mm -hmm. I felt this incredible presence in the room when we were finished. And it was completely different than how I felt when you first came in. I agree. Wasn't Mm -hmm. that? Like we had a divine appointment, right? Yes, we did. Mm -hmm. But I want you to talk a little bit about the trials and traumas and triggers in your own life. And your story was a trigger for me because of what I'd faced with my own children. So I, got, I was triggered when I came in here. Why? Because I had experienced some traumatic events that, have, that are with me forever. It doesn't mean they have power over me, but they can move me to tears and nothing flat, right? But as, I, as you and I began to talk a little bit about where you were at and what was happening and Robert... We really got into the story behind the story behind the story. So I want you to tell everyone a little bit about your roots and about your life. About my trauma? Mm-mm. Yeah, about the, the pain and why this was compounded. I just want to preface what we're going to talk about here for a second by saying that we keep talking about what a mess this generation is in, how addictions are such a big problem in our nation in our certainly in our primary spheres of influence, we see it everywhere: drug use and whatnot, even social but media and other things. It's everywhere, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's a story behind the story behind the story that we're neglecting to tell and to explain. And I always say the fruit of German new medicine and recall healing and whatnot is, is phenomenal. That the psychology of the parents at conception becomes the biology of the child. And then, of course, we know through ancient documents that these generational patterns, these generational demons or curses, if you will, are passed down. 
So I think the gift and the opportunity of every generation, right, is to break those cycles. But one of the things that you and I began to find some level of comfort in is in the bigger story that perhaps Robert's life, although you miss him so much and he's this amazing, beautiful soul, right? By the way, he was very accomplished. He was a pilot for American Airlines, I might add. And so he wasn't a person that didn't have hopes and dreams and all of that. But it was a broken heart and a shattered soul. We're going to get to that. That kind of drove him to the addiction. But I want to kind of give the background story of the story of an addiction and the anatomies, perhaps, of an addiction and tell your story. Well, I come from a family of addiction. My father was an alcoholic. His father was an alcoholic also. His father died early. I never met him. And my dad lived in Munich during the Second World War. He was in Dachau for a couple of days. So that, that was really, that made a traumatic imprint on him. And he used to talk about it, share with us children. So being children, we didn't want to hear about it, you know, because it was just like, oh, not another story. He's been drinking since his 30s. My mother also comes from a very traumatic background, too, because her mother died during the Second World War. And she was 16, the oldest child. So she took care of the family. Her father never remarried, and she had three siblings that she took care of because she was the oldest. Mm -hmm. So that's basically my background, Eastern European. They came to Canada, Vancouver, because we had family there. And it was pretty traumatic for all of us, and they sacrificed a lot for us. You know, there are three girls in my family. Mm -hmm. If I look back, I've really never look that far back but I think talking to you I realized how much trauma there was on both sides of my family and how it affected me and my sisters what I find interesting like we all I think you talk about attachment I find interesting that it's affected me and my sisters very differently Mm -hmm. but I really was my father's son that he never had and you were his favorite I was definitely his favorite, and everybody knew it. And as a result, I realized how the decisions that I made really were not that great. Can I add something which is really interesting, Natalie? Because Dr. Goldstein, there again, product of World War II Mm -hmm. and the consequence of immigrants from Ukraine growing up in Russia during the Second World War as Jewish people and the complexities of that. But the consequence of it in the mental state of a family and physiologically how it's manifesting in her and some of the things. But there again, here we are talking about traumas and addictions and everything. And we go back, what, to a Second World War. I hear this so much. Mm -hmm. Children of immigrants and the sacrifice that comes. But when we think of world wars, we don't realize that the war really comes to us. We think of wars of something as something being far away. But the battle comes home mm-hmm. to us. Yeah. And sometimes it manifests generationally. And that's why I think your story is so relevant, especially at the cusp of what we just recorded with Dr. Goldstein. And so thank you for sharing that about your dad. 
I just think there's a level of judgment and intensity sometimes that we address addictions with. And there's heart, there's people, there's stories, there's pain, there's broken hearts and shattered souls, and there's sacrifices. And there's people trying to make life a little bit better than what they had, and they don't always have the resources to do that with. And that's why I want you to tell this story. You told me a story about being eight years old and mom being anxious and stressed and dad not being home. And she's sending you off. So basically, he would spend his paycheck at a pub, and my mother was the responsible one that, you know, took care of the three of us, made sure we went to school, and made sure we got dressed, made, you know, all, all the normal things that a parent wants for a child. And so the only way to get him out of the pub and not drink, she would send me to go get him. So I was seven or eight years old, and I remember going to the pub, and I was like a little puppy dog. I'd come by the door, and uh, he'd wave me in and give me a, a little bit of money, go get something. In other words, that would buy him more time. Well, I was too smart. I'd go run next door, buy one candy bar, and run right back. And, okay, let's go. Let's go home. And he would go home. That's the only way that we can get him home. So I remember doing that on a regular basis. As a child, didn't think there was anything wrong with that. I felt this power that I had over my dad. Yeah. You were like the adult yeah. in the relationship. Yes, I was. Very protective of him. If anyone ever said anything, you know, bad about him, I would always make excuses and I would always protect him. Which completely explains why you are this no-nonsense woman of utmost integrity and substance. And the context of the story, personally to me, has so much meaning because of that. So tell us what happens after that. You kind of fast forward. Well, basically, that's what I did. As a child, I protected my dad. I took care of him. And he and I became best of friends. And if I wanted something, I, I would go to him. I would never go to my mother. I would always go to him because he would always make sure that I got mm -hmm. what I wanted. And I use it to my advantage. Yeah. And, and fast forward, you fall in love, you get married. Yes, and I fall in love, and I fall in love with this older guy who was 18 years older than I was. And I was this young girl, 22 years old. And I thought that was my answer to everything. And Only, the beat goes on. Huh? And the beat the goes down, on, yeah. yes. I did the same thing like I always do. With men, I took care of him. He yeah. was very smart. He was an engineer, had his own company, successful. But at the same time, I took care of him. Mm. And he gave you everything you needed and wanted. You had a substantial lifestyle yes, as I a did. consequence. Yes, I did. He gave me financially anything and everything I wanted. Mm -hmm. You had a significant budget yes. to spend. And just take us through what constituted that marriage and the beautiful babies, I might add, that you had as a consequence and what that dynamic looked like. Because therein we find the beginning of the segment that's going to lead us into the next topic. Marrying him, he was already established. So basically, uh, we didn't have children for five years. So we traveled around the world and first class everywhere. And he gave me money. I had a budget of $25,000 a month. I could do whatever I wanted. And I Whoa. did. And I did. Mm -hmm. And we lived in Big Canyon, which was a nice neighborhood in Newport Beach. And once the children started coming in, because I wanted children, and he claimed he wanted children too, our relationship changed. How did it change? 
Well, he wanted to have fun, but when the children came along, uh, it was very difficult for him. So basically, he just kept working, and I think that was his answer to everything. And he thought if he provided financially, that he didn't have to do anything else. Mm-hmm. So it changed, and I can honestly say that, you know how kids play Little League, baseball, football, mm-hmm. whatever. Rob played all of the above. And I don't think that any of the parents ever met him. I just remember one time, I think he showed up to one of the games for what, five, seven years, and no one knew who he, who he was. Mm-hmm. And that was my my life. And I can honestly say that if I asked him to go pick up the kids, he wouldn't know where to go, what school to go to, what grade they were in. I don't know that he knew. But I always had live-ins because of the money. So I never really depended or asked him to do anything because mm-hmm. I always had a backup. Exactly. By live-ins, you mean live-in nanny, right? Yeah, live-in right. nanny. Okay. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you had sweet Melissa. I had Melissa first. Mm-hmm. And when I had Melissa, like you were saying, going back, those were the happy days, you know, because we were still in love. And, you know, five years later, we had Melissa, our first child. So it was all fun and games. And we could take her anywhere. We go to Hawaii, you know, we can go wherever, you know, pick her up and just go do whatever we wanted to do. Well, Robert was four years later. Once Rob came along, it was different because it was more difficult. Now with two children, you couldn't just pick up and go anymore, you know, because it just became very different. And he became very different too, because he wanted to play. He really didn't want to be responsible for Mm -hmm. raising a family. And I might add about sweet Robert, and it's evident in all his pictures, he just has a really tender heart and very present. And when he looked at you, it seemed like he was looking through you a little bit. Like he, he really he didn't talk a lot, studied people. But he studied and he processed everything. Mm-hmm. And he didn't say a lot, but when he said something, it was very substantial, substantial yeah. and very meaningful. He always was mm-hmm. like that. And I can give you a perfect example we went to a movie one time. I mean, we went to a lot of movies, you know, with the kids. But I remember Melissa and him going to a movie, and it was some kind of dog movie. I don't remember the name of it. And Melissa's sitting there. She's four years older, remember, than he is. She's hysterical laughing because the dog's talking and saying all these stupid things. And Rob looked at her, and he said, Melissa, you're so stupid. Dogs don't do that. Okay, so why are you <laughs> laughing so much? This is so dumb. He's very practical. Very practical. Yes, and he was very... Yeah, he and he was very smart. He did really well in so school and everything. Fast forward, where do things really begin to unravel? Things started to unravel early on, shortly after I had Robert. I mean, even when I was pregnant with Robert, was, things were not good. I wanted to, I knew this is not my destiny with this man because he just wasn't available. And I wanted to leave, but I didn't because I thought, okay, I'll buy myself a couple of years, which is what I did. I know that you voiced your frustration, your sadness, yes. your desire, and your need for him. Yes. I wanted my marriage to be different. He was a good man. 
he was not a bad man. He didn't talk badly. He didn't was not verbally abusive. He was not physically abusive. That's what my mom said. He's, those are good things, okay? Mm-hmm. But he just he was very indifferent, and mm-hmm. I wanted more. And I was very young, and I wanted more. Yeah. And he just could not get there. I asked him to go to counseling. He went to one counseling session, and then after that, he was done. He was like, okay. And the consequence was? The consequence was, was that, well, I don't I want to say it, but I'm going to say it anyways. I had an, an affair. Okay, I went to New York. I had a quick affair. I want to say quick because it didn't last very long. And I came back to him, and I said to him, I said, this is what's going on. We're either going to fix this or I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Again, he went once. And then he was done. And mm-hmm. I said, I'm, I'm selling the house. I said, I'm out of here. And he didn't think I was going to sell it because it was the timing wasn't good. And I think real estate wasn't doing well at the time. So he didn't think it was going to happen. But guess what? I sold the house. And he told me, he said, if you sell the house and if you do this, he said, you're not going to get anything. I thought he was full of crap. You know, you can't do that. And he said, well, he said, you'll see. And basically, that's what happened. I sold a house. I bought a smaller condo, moved it in with the children, and got divorced. And he was supposed to pay me this enormous amount of alimony and child support. Child support. And basically, he did it for six months. And after six months, he disappeared. And that was it? And that was it. So here I am with two children. By this time, they're teenagers, okay, with no job because I work for him. He and I, I don't want to say that I worked for him. He and I were partners in his business. He shut the door and he just left. Okay, so here I am with two children, no job. Okay, I started going to law school at one point. And then I thought, oh, this is going to take too long. I'm not going to do this. Okay, so I quit. So that's one big regret that I have because I really should have finished that. I sold a condo at the time, moved in with a friend with the two kids, I rolled the dice was working for a marketing company, but it wasn't enough because I came from having $25,000 a month to zero money. And the kids were both still in school and I was paying for school and it became a total financial mess. So what I did is when I sold a house, I rolled the dice and I said, I'm going to go in real estate. I got licensed and I studied during my lunch breaks and I got licensed. Once I got licensed, I worked both jobs. I worked at the marketing office and then I worked uh, in real estate at the same time. I didn't make any money or hardly any money the first year and I was scared and when I sold the house I didn't tell my family because I know that they would probably disagree and tell me shouldn't have done that. A lot of my friends told me you're never going to have another house, you're never going to own another property, don't do that, that was not a good decision. Then after that, I stopped talking to people because I didn't want to hear the naysayers. I just wanted to do what I thought. You was, knew what you needed to do. I knew what I needed to do. So I just rolled the dice. Can we all just sit on that one for a minute? To have the wisdom in the midst of so much pain and mm-hmm. so much loss and so much fear, I might add. We've talked about yeah. this so much. But having the courage to say, no, I'm going to invest in me. And I believe that these are the deepest convictions of my heart and I need Mm -hmm. to take care of my children because that was the motivation, right? Yes, the children were the motivation, definitely. Failure wasn't even an option. That was not an option at all. 
I thought of going back to law school, but I thought, well, again, that's going to take too long, and I don't have time. I have to feed them now. And so first year, I didn't make any money. Second year, I made 72000 Year three, I made half a million. And the rest is history. Yes. So. It's amazing how you can find your purpose in your pain. As a result, because I was working so hard, because I wanted to get back on my feet, you know, because by this time, kids needed cars, and they were still in, in private schools and everything else. I mean, I know for a fact that's when Rob went sideways, because I was not paying attention. I didn't have the time to pay attention as I normally would, would have. and have. And I saw the picture right before Dad left, and he was these radiant eyes, this yes. happy face, this, these two happy children. And you showed me a picture that was taken just a month or two later, and it was like something sucked the very soul out of him. You did. And you could see reconciling the confusion, the chaos, and the dis-ease that he saw emerging in his home became a thorn in his tender little heart. And he was adorable, he's young, he's smart, and Melissa too, by the way. And they did what they could with what they had. But at the end of the day, there isn't a place sometimes to get that splinter out or to deal with that hole in our hearts, right? And so we need to live and survive, and we find ways to do that. And you saw that as a mother. Yes. We stop at nothing to take care of our kids because we fill in vacuums. That's Mm -hmm. what moms do, right? We fill in the gap. And I had no family here. That's another thing. It was really difficult because I didn't have any family. I had a lot of friends, but friends are not family. Mm -hmm. And looking back, I feel like if I have any regrets, it's that I didn't go back to Vancouver because at least the kids would have had uncles and aunts, cousins. Mm -hmm. They didn't have anything. They didn't, but they had an amazing mom. And every time I think of you, and everybody that knows you would testify to this. You're a strong woman of substance. Thank you. And you have been a mentor to so many people. Again, the purpose that comes in our pain. And we can look back on would-haves, could-haves, should-haves, but that's such a waste of productive energy. Because I look at, because of Robert, because of your whole story, I've gotten to know you. And we're impacting the lives, literally, of tens of thousands of people. Across the world. Across the world. And Natalie can speak to this. Mm -hmm. And the contribution you've made to me, to us, to my team, just in your friendship and putting your money where your mouth is, recognizing that we have the hemorrhaging heart of a generation just steeped in addictions. Mm -hmm. And we can't walk away from this conversation that were it not for Robert's tender heart and your heart of a warrior, you mm-hmm. are just a warrior princess. You just are. And were it not for the substance of everything that you are and everything that he was, and even Melissa, everything that she is, because she's a tough one too. She she's is. a fighter. She's a fighter. We wouldn't be here. And so, I don't know, Lily. I know we all look back. I think we all look back and we wish we would have done a lot of things differently. 
But every time I do that, I feel God saying, psst, psst, I'm over here. I'm over here. You cannot fall away from the will of God for your life. It might not be pretty. We might take detours. We might take the long way around. But somehow he has a way of getting us back on track. And when I think about the beauty of the contribution that you've made to people in your sphere of influence, because I know you've impacted the lives of so many women through the trials, through the traumas that you've encountered in your life, don't lose sight of that, right, too. And I think I want our listening audience that are perhaps in similar places and dealing with similar things, be careful not to despair in the midst of what you think you understand. Because the story of Robert has turned into something so much bigger in my life. I felt like the day you left my office, like I knew him. I felt like, oh my gosh, this boy brought you here. Lily, you have no idea what I do, what we're after, what we're trying to do. We're trying to heal the hemorrhaging heart of our nation, just riddled with addictions. And I remember your eyes lit up for a minute, and she said, "What I, you said what I wouldn't give. I wish I had this information when I was raising my children. Rest, right? Rest, absolutely. Yeah. You know what you said to me that I'll never forget? Nally, you've heard me say this so many times. Yes. But Virginia, my son, had the dream, the idea of something like you, of this. He did. Mm-hmm. He was that sensitive. He was that intuitive. He knew the pieces that were missing. He just didn't know who he could go to to bring them into alignment. And I didn't know where to send them. I had no idea. I wish I had that information before. While he, he was here. Yeah. Well, I just love you. I love your strength. I love your courage. I love your sensitivity. And I know this is a really painful discussion. But I wanted to also be something that is life-giving for people that are listening who find themselves in really dark and scary places like you did. Because you really circled the wagon and you just took care of your family and you didn't neglect the families around you and the brokenness around you. We live in Southern California and Orange County. You live in a very, very affluent community in, right, in Newport Beach. Yeah. And I just know that ripples of your hopes, your dreams, your fears, your passions, your pain has made significant contributions to everyone, not just me. So I'm so happy everybody got to hear the backdrop of what we're going to discuss next, which is sweet Robert's story. And Melissa, there's something Uh just beautiful about her. But is there anything you want to close this little segment with? I don't know if there's anything I want to close it with, except that I can, I miss my son. My life has changed. It's different. And I miss my boy. Forever. And ever and ever and ever. Thank you, Lily. We're going to have events, rest events, or even if you know that you have a broken heart and a shattered soul and you don't know how to fill the pain or the void and you can see that your young kids are heading for something that is not productive. We know more about addictions than we ever wanted to know. All of us. Yeah. We're not authorities, but I certainly know more than I ever wanted to know about addictions. And I know that a broken heart and a shattered soul and a vacuum inside of the hearts of our children drive them to numb the pain. Mm -hmm. And honoring the memory of Robert and our kids, that there's absolutely nothing we wouldn't do to help. 
through the foundation, through the Rest Foundation, we are going to have a program, a quarterly rest event, something significant to do our part in addressing this conversation. Absolutely. All right, everyone. So keep your eye out for everything that Virginia just said. We're going to figure out something to do for you and we're going to make sure that everyone knows about it. So if you haven't yet registered, don't forget to visit virginiadixon.com forward slash events. So you may attend the day of rest on April 2nd at the villa in Silverado Canyon. We're only a few weeks away, so don't forget. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.